0: So we're continuing through the book of Luke. We, of course, started back in chapter 1, verse 1. So we've been, I don't even know, what have we been, two years in Luke? It's, it's been a while. What a great time. I, I, I don't know about you. Every Monday morning, I wake up like, okay, which, which, what's coming next? I mean, I've read it. But, you know, it's like, what are we going to go for this week? It's, and the word of God is just, it's amazing. It's just amazing. Uh, it speaks to us. And uh, it's, this is here with God. Even though we picked this book two years ago, the stuff, it's like this week, it's this week. You look at this, you're like, yep, this is just what we needed to hear this week. Uh, and next week, we'll say the same thing. It's, it's the word of God. Now, Jesus has been on his way to Jerusalem he has left the, the Galilean region. Uh, he's on his way. He has set his face to go to Jerusalem. It's kind of a windy road. It, it takes him a little while to get there. It's six months, nine months, somewhere in there for him to walk away from the Galilean ministry where he, he preached and they rejected him. And so he's now on his way to Jerusalem where he's down in the southern part of Israel and he's preaching to them and they're rejecting him too. And so he is carrying out this message to a nation. That there are some being saved, but not many. And what do you say to them? What do you say to a nation that should, he came unto his own, and they should be receiving him, but they're not. They're not. And so let me just read the passage, and then we'll work our way through it. So starting in Luke, verse chapter 13, verse 23. And someone said to him, that is Jesus, Lord, are there just a few being saved? He said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. And you taught in our streets. And he will say to you, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. And you yourselves being thrown out. And they will come from the east and the west and from north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. So Jesus has been speaking to the nation. We know that he's been, Jesus has been warning the nation pretty much since the, the very inauguration of his ministry. John baptizes him in the river. He goes into the wilderness. He comes out of the wilderness. And we know from the Gospel of John that he goes down and, and he leaves the wilderness. He picks up some disciples and he heads to Jerusalem for the first Passover. And while there, he drives the money changers out of the temple. He does that twice. The first time he does that is just right off after the 40 days in the wilderness. He goes down, he drives the money changers out. They know that there is a confrontation here between the teaching of Jesus and the practice of the nation. They have gotten all of their views of God incorrect. They think that salvation is from the law. It's not. And so Jesus has been trying to talk to them for the entire three years. He's been trying to speak to them and to teach them truth. You'd think that they would be like, this is the greatest thing ever. You're kidding me. I, I always thought it was too hard to, make, to work my way to heaven. You mean it's by grace? Wow, great. Where do I sign up? No. Nope, that's not what they do. That, that is not the response. You'll recall Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth, and he gets up and he reads from the scriptures, and he says, this day is this prophecy fulfilled in your ears. You would think that the hometown boy made good. They'd have a parade. Well, actually, they do kind of have a parade and they have him at the front of it, too. And as soon as they get to the brow of the hill, they want to throw him off and kill him because he got up and said to them, you know, there were a lot of prophets in Israel and there were a lot of women in Israel, but the prophets, well, they ended up with a widow who wasn't an Israelite. And they up, you rejected the prophets and he says to them, you will reject me. And sure enough, they did. So Jesus has been denouncing hypocrisy. He has been denouncing the, the teaching of the nation and their rejection of the truth of God. He's been doing it his entire ministry. So this particular passage is going to add some more details to that. I mean, he's, you know time has gone by now. He's been saying this for a while, but let's, let's add some more detail. And what he says to them is, is that there's going to be a struggle to get salvation. You're going to have to to struggle to get this. In fact, strive. This is the word agonize. This This is a Greek word we get the word agonize from. You're going to have to really work at this to get salvation. It's a narrow door. It's hard to get through it. Now, what is this battle? And let's be clear here. Jesus is not saying you have to work for your salvation. The entire problem the nation has is that they think they can work their way for salvation. That's exactly what you've got to stop thinking about. The struggle, the battle, is for you to be clothed in humility and to say, you know what, all my good works are useless. I can't be good enough. I'm not good enough. I, I, no matter how hard I try to keep the law, I fail at it. I've got to come to God with humility. This is the battle. This is the struggle. This is what you have to strive. You have to wrestle with this. This is hard. If you've had the opportunity to share the gospel with people, maybe maybe relatives, people that you have a, a really good relationship with, and maybe you've actually had an opportunity to just kind of let them talk and listen, and you'll discover that many people will give you some version of a conversation in which they say to you, Look, I think God, if there is one, God's a nice guy. And God wants people to go to heaven. And you know what? I'm a nice guy. And so if there's a judgment, I mean, come on, you know, I made it through life this far. I've, I, I've managed to get what I need to get. And, and so if I get before God and there's some kind of a judgment, it'll be okay. You don't have to worry about me. And that Jesus stuff and all this. And I'm glad it works for you. But frankly, I'm not even sure there is a heaven or a hell. But if there is, I'll be fine. This is what the average person thinks. They think that this world is theirs. And they kind of walk around on it like they own it. Never acknowledging that every breath you breathe is air that God gave you. Every sip of water you drink is God's water. And every plot of ground you walk on is God's ground. And we are squatters here. God placed us here to bring honor and glory to him. And when we drink his water and breathe his air and curse his name, well, you think God is going to just stand back and do nothing about that? Now, for a while, you have grace and you have mercy. He sits on his throne of grace at the moment. But don't fool yourself. Don't think that's going to last forever. It's not, and that's what Jesus is saying here. That's the admonition that Jesus is trying to give these people. We walk around on this earth like we're, we're like we're gods. We're not. We, we think we understand God. We don't. God's ways are not our ways. The carnal mind, the fleshly mind, is at war with God, and it's not subject to the law of God. In fact, it can't be. So the natural man, if you just kind of, there's a way that seems right unto a man, the end thereof are the ways of death. And Jesus has been telling this for a long time. You know, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom, you know. He who does the will of my Father, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and in your name do many great and mighty and marvelous works? And I'll say to them, depart from me, workers of iniquity. I I never knew you. you. You did all this great stuff to build up your name. You didn't do all that in repentance. You didn't do all that in humility. You didn't do all that declaring yourself unworthy of the least of the blessings of God. You set out to make yourself great through trying to serve God. And Jesus is going to say, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. So the person comes to him and says, you know, are there, are there just a few being saved? Jesus doesn't say to them, oh, you don't need to worry about that. I've looked into your heart and I see that you're a true believer, so you don't need to be concerned about the number of people saved. Jesus doesn't. That that isn't how Jesus answers this question. He doesn't give this person any assurance whatsoever. In fact, when Jesus does answer this question, it's quite likely to conclude that this person is actually not saved. Because the first thing he said to them is, well, actually, you need to strive to enter through the door. Something he probably wouldn't say to someone who is actually saved. He warns them. There's a warning here. Many are going to seek to get through this door and they're not, they're not going to be able to. And this is to the person who asked the question, implying that you might want to work on getting through this door now while Jesus is literally standing in front of you and can explain clearly to you how to do this. And by the way, you might want to recognize that time is limited. You know, this generation that Jesus is speaking to They're all long gone. Their eternal destiny is now done. And we know for a fact they didn't repent. Jesus is looking at them saying, this is your opportunity. Now, some of them, well, I mean, the day of Pentecost will be effective, 3,000. But most of those folks, if you actually read the account in Acts, most of those folks have gathered at Jerusalem for Pentecost from all over the world. Most of those folks aren't the actual people in Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem have just got done screaming, crucify him. We don't know exactly how many of those people are getting saved. They proceed, that's the same group that proceeds to go out and stone Stephen. So the group of people to whom Jesus is speaking, he's trying to help them to understand that your moment of salvation is here. This this person comes to him and says, are many being saved? Jesus does not give them assurance. Oh yeah, I don't need to worry about that. We we have come to the place where in our Christianity, we're really anxious to give people assurance of salvation. You might want to think carefully about that. You might want to consider whether we should be quite so anxious to assure people who lead absolutely godless lives to not worry about it. If they at one moment, just a half second, actually believe that Jesus died for them, they're all set. You might want to hesitate. That would not be an answer Jesus would give. In fact, it's not the answer Jesus gives. When we look at the answer Jesus actually gives, what he says is, "You need to strive to enter through this narrow door. It's going to be tough. Salvation is not easy. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to wrestle with things. You're going to have to. You're going to have to come with humility." I tell you that many are going to want to get through this gate and not be able to. Why? Because the nation of Israel wants to get into the kingdom. They all think they should get in the kingdom. They believe it. they ought to get in the kingdom. Most of them are not going to get in the kingdom. Why? Well, because they think to get into the kingdom is to do the law of Moses. The law of Moses is not going to get you into the kingdom. They were wrong about that. So, Once you're hearing the gospel, listen, pay attention. Matthew will record Jesus saying in the Sermon on the Mount, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. and there are many who enter through that, the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. The idea that you get to heaven by being a good person and keeping the, Ten Commandments, and having your good works outweigh your bad works. Okay, that's the broad way. That's the way that we like. We like that. Oh, that sounds good. God helps those who help themselves. I like that. I, I, I'm glad I can do something for God. I, yeah, I get to contribute. We like that. That appeals to us. That's the broad way. That's the road that leads to destruction. That's the way that seems right. It's wrong. The true gospel is this. Jesus did it all. Your responsibility is to actually believe that and stop counting on your own self-righteousness and on your own good works and on, and on what you're doing. What you have to do is actually wake up to the reality that I can't do anything. In fact, I'm condemned justly by God. And I have no idea why God extended his grace or mercy or love to me. And what in the world is the sovereign God of heaven doing sending his son to die in my place? Who am I? What is that possible? And to think that I have not thanked God for that is terrifying. Okay, now you're on your way to the gospel. Now you're actually getting to the place where you believe this. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom you, you suddenly wake up to. I, I have not been anywhere near filled with gratitude towards what God has done for me as I should have been. Oh, Lord, how is it you didn't cast me hell on into hell a long time ago? thank you for your grace and mercy to allow me to hear the gospel one more time. Here I am. Here I am. Okay, that's, now you're getting there. So Jesus says, verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. I I tell you, many, many are going to try to enter and and they're not going to be able to. So you need to admit you're a sinner. You need to admit that you can't work your way into heaven. And the problem is that Jesus has been preaching this message for three years now. Three and a half even. I mean, the the cross is not that far away. We've got some more chapters to get there, but it's, it's not that far in the future. And so... He's talking to a group of people who don't want to repent. I'll give you a great Old Testament example of this. You're all familiar with it. You remember Naaman, right? The the Syrian uh, general. And remember, he had leprosy. And he's got a little slave girl from Israel. And she says, oh, that my master were with the prophet in in Israel. He would cure him of his leprosy. So it's like, okay. So he, he packs up his, you know, big entourage and they head off to go see the prophet and when he gets to the prophet you know he, he arrives and you can imagine there's some pomp and circumstance here i mean this, this is a, an important guy he's so he, he gets to the prophet's house and what exactly happens well um so verse this is second kings 5 9 naaman came with his horses and his chariots and he stood at the doorway of the house of elijah he's standing at the doorway of the prophet Elijah sends a servant out to him, a messenger. If you're into diplomacy at all, you're immediately insulted, right? I mean, hey, I'm somebody, and you're supposed to send someone of at least equal, if not greater. If you send someone of greater rank, then I'll be honored, but lesser? So Elijah sends a messenger to him and says, okay, this is you. Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you. Y'all know, right? I mean, he's furious. He is just spitting nails, right? I mean, and, and, it, and this passage says, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. I know how God works. I know how this is supposed to go. Really? Is that right? Is that right? So it's up to you to tell God what he's supposed to do. Is that right? Is that, is that what you think? So you showed up here in all of your pride and all of your arrogance to, get, to show up here and to tell the prophet how he ought to act as a representative of God. Is that right? Hmm. You want your leprosy cleansed or not? Because if you do, it's going to require humility. This is just like salvation. We march up to salvation thinking, all right, okay, God, it's me. I died. You got to let me in. Open the gates. It's time I'm here. I mean, after all, it's me. I'm here. Look at all this great stuff I did. Okay, that, that's what we think. Okay, that's, that's Naaman. That's not going to work. God's not going to open the gates. Well, not to heaven. You're not going to get in that way. And he's just mad and furious. And his servant says to him, <clears throat> You know, my father, words of respect, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done that? Yeah, I want to do some great thing so that it looks like it's me. Yeah, no, he just wants you to go wash in the muddy Jordan River, by the way. Go be humble and you'll see the power of God. That's the gospel. Don't the only people who actually understand the gospel and get saved are humble people. If you can't humbly admit that you're actually a sinner and that your good works do you no good whatsoever, then you don't really understand the gospel. You you still haven't really got it. There's a window. There's a moment. We have this moment. We don't know if we have any more. We don't know if we have tomorrow. We have no idea. But we got today. So Jesus says in verse 25, once the head of the house stands up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open unto us. He'll answer you and say, I don't don't, don't know you. I don't even know where you're from. Who are you guys? The moment is going to come that it's over. Your opportunity is done. You had it. The gospel was there. You heard it. You clearly understood it. And you didn't take it. Well, Isaiah tells us you better seek the Lord while he is near and while he can be found. there's a number of places. We can't even read them all, but you can. You know, Matthew 25, right? The story of the ten virgins. The, when you bought the lamp, it came with some oil in it. The wise, the five wise virgins, bought more oil to go with the lamp. The foolish virgins, eh, they just, you know. And so this is all great right up until the bridegroom came. And now, hey, my lamp burnt out. I don't have any oil in it. Mm, well, go buy some more because the, it's over. The moment was over. You had a little bit of light for a little bit of time. The ministry of John the Baptist, the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of the disciples, there was light here for a little while in the nation of Israel. You better believe when you had the opportunity because the moment is going to come. It's it's over. And of course, we know at 70 AD. The Romans came in and just totally destroyed the place. Jesus predicted. You have this moment. Take it. And if you don't, Noah and the ark, right? Noah, Noah preached righteousness for 120 years. The ark, if you haven't gone to the ark experience, by the way, and you had the opportunity, take it. They build the ark, and they build it to the smallest dimensions. You know, the cubit being the shortest amount that we think it is. It could have been larger. Unbelievable, the massive size of this vessel. Noah built this thing, and there was room for more people than just the eight. They didn't get on. They didn't get on. God shut the door. God shut the door because once the rain started to fall, you could only imagine, right? Just picture the scene. I mean, Noah very likely built this boat in a a level plain, probably a forest, started in the middle of a forest. But by the time he got done, there was no forest. Probably cut trees for half a mile in every direction, right? And he gets this thing done and it starts raining. And and what do you suppose? I suspect there was a flood of humanity now rushing over to this ark. Banging on the door. Let us in. Sorry. The flood came and took them all away. Jesus will say to them, he will answer, I I don't know where you're from. And they'll begin to say, well, wait a minute. We ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. I mean, we're part of the crowd here we're 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 Israel we're part of the in group you're one of us we're come on we're one of the gang here we we travel around with you all over the place we listen to what you had to say we we ate with you in fact you might have even created some of the food that we ate maybe maybe my brother or my son or mother or daughter or somebody my cousin got healed by you I mean come on it's us but did you repent Did you admit that you were a sinner? Did you stop trusting in what you could do and start trusting in what God could do? This is who Jesus is talking to. There's going to be a moment, even though they say we ate and drank in your presence, it's not going to help. It's not going to help. To simply be near Jesus is not enough. To simply have heard the gospel isn't going to do it. There are people who who like Christians. They like us because, in theory anyway, we are nice people. We are kind and forgiving and honest. And and there are people who just kind of, well, they like Christians. Not too big on Christianity. Uh, It's it's not going to help. If you don't hear the gospel and repent... And turn, then it's not going to matter. That's that's these people. Wait, we ate with you, we drank with you. No, depart from me. You were evil doers. It's it's not going to get the job done. You never actually repented. Remember the the message of John the Baptist: Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus preaches: Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The apostles will preach: Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance. You need to turn from your self-reliance and turn to God's reliance. Judas Iscariot was one of those guys who just kind of hung around because, well, he had sense enough to put together that, you know, this Jesus, he claims he's the Messiah. Now, when the Messiah comes into his own, and all the apostles thought this, by the way, but Judas, he had a special lack of faith. Judas realized if I can just hang with Jesus, you know, I'm going to get a throne and I'm going to get a crown and I'm going to get to rule in the kingdom. Whew, I like that. Boy, that's going to work out really good for me. And when it became clear that Jesus actually wasn't really going to do that, I mean, it begins to set in that, you know, the nation is not really repenting here. And Jesus is just, I mean, maybe in somewhere in the future he's going to, but at the moment, this is not really working. We are not seeing national repentance. The religious leaders are not growing warmer and warmer to Jesus. They're not warming up to him. They're becoming hotter and hotter in their hatred of him. And so Judas, when the moment comes and he can stab Jesus in the back for 30 pieces of silver, he's all too happy to do that i got at least something out of this deal. All that hanging around, you know, Judas, at the last supper when Jesus says, one of you are going to betray me, they don't go. Everyone is looking at them and Judas, it's not, a, it's, it's Judas. I mean, I never heard him preach the gospel. I never saw the guy do a miracle. I mean, he would, I mean, he was just the strangest apostle of the month. Oh no, no one, no, no one notices. Why? Because Judas did do the miracles. Because Judas did preach the gospel. Because the power is all of Jesus. It wasn't of any of the apostles anyway. Jesus gave them the authority and they did it. Judas did the miracle just as well as anybody else. He's a total and complete unbeliever. He was in it for himself. Hanging around doesn't help. they I tell you, I, I don't know where you're from. Depart from me. Yeah. You, you're the children of Abraham. That's not going to do you any good. Boy, you're from Chorazin and Bethsaida. You think, that, you think that's going to work? Woe unto you, of course, then in Bethsaida, right? The mighty works have been done to you, have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah. They, they would have repented, and you aren't. It's not going to do you any good to claim that you were the children of Abraham. That, that's not going to matter. In fact, what's going to happen to you guys is that in that place there is going to be at, at this moment, when, when you start banging on the door and you start demanding to be let in and you, and you try to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence, in that place, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're going to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves being thrown out. The judgment, how the judgment actually comes to pass, we can have a big discussion about it, but here's what we know, because Jesus says this very plainly. Matthew 12, 36, I tell you, every careless word that people speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. Peter writes that the world is going to reject you. And and he says, this is how the world acts. They, They have pursued a course of sensuality, of lust, of drunkenness, of carousing, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. And in all of this, they're surprised that you don't run with them into the same excess of dissipation. And they malign you. And then Peter says, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The day of judgment is going to be a day in which people have an opportunity to stand before God and give an account. And they will give an account. They they will actually get up there and they will will try to explain. Jesus, Jesus is going to give an opportunity. The books are going to be open and you're going to get to explain. By the way, We are going to have the same opportunity. The difference is that if we have believed that Jesus died on our behalf, there will be no condemnation. But there will be many lessons learned. We too are going to have to explain to Jesus what we did with our lives. No judgment, but great wisdom. These folks, their judgment, judgment is going to fall on them. Not that they're not going to try. They're going to say, we ate and drank in your presence. I mean, come on, we're the children of Abraham. There's going to be lots of of attempt at an explanation as to why God shouldn't condemn them. And in that place, there is going to be weeping. Why? Because you had an opportunity and you didn't take it. And you'll weep. And there will be gnashing of teeth, anger. You're going to be mad. You're going to be really upset. You're going to tell God he's wrong. That's you' going to do. That's what you do when you gnash your teeth, right? I mean, that's exactly how the gnashing of teeth works. You get vexed, you get angry.. Not to steal from too many upcoming sermons, but just a few chapters in front of us, you're going to get the rich man Lazarus. Have you ever really looked at the account of the rich man of Lazarus? Have you ever really listened to the rich man? Ever read that and actually listen to this guy? This guy is in Gehenna. He's in torment. And he stands there and he argues theology with Abraham and tells Abraham he's wrong. Is there any repentance from this guy? (laughs) It's no repentance. He wants Abraham to send Lazarus back to rescue his five brothers so they don't come to that place. But he's not repentant. There is no repentance in hell. There'll be sorrow. Oh, great sorrow. Lots of tears for themselves. They'll be sorry for themselves. And there'll be gnashing of teeth because God is unjust and wrong. It won't do them any good whatsoever. Not a bit. But don't think that people are... No one's going to repent on the day of judgment. They don't repent. Now is the day of repentance. Now is your moment. That moment, it's over. We open up the, the book, and we go down through the book of life, and we find out whether or not you repented in this life. We find out whether or not you turn from your self-reliance and relied on what Jesus has done. And if you did that, then your name is written in the land's book of life. And if you haven't done that, well... It won't be. So this is the moment and this is what Jesus is saying to them. In fact, they will come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. Praise God, that's us. It's us. Maybe some of you are Jewish. I don't, I, I don't know. If anybody is, I, I don't know. There will be some Jewish people who make it into the kingdom for sure, without a doubt. But the fact is that After the day of Pentecost, and as the gospel spread out, next thing you know, by the end of the book of Acts, it starts in Jerusalem, it ends in Rome. It starts with mostly Jews, it ends with mostly Gentiles. And praise God, because the gospel has come to us. And we can gather from the north and the south and the east and from the west and make our way into the kingdom of God. And those who were Israel, those who had the promises and the covenants and the prophets and all of this great blessing of God, they reject it gospel they stumbled over this stumbling stone of self-reliance they trip over it they think that because of the children of abraham and because they have the law of moses it's not going to do it it's not going to be enough their messiah came as the lamb of god who died to take away the sin of the world and they rejected him and they refused so Verse 30, some who are last will be first and some who were first will be last. Those who you thought would be the least likely people ever to believe the gospel, you'd think the last person on earth to ever understand the gospel. Some of those who are last will be first. And some of those people you thought for sure would be first will be last. I don't know if you've had an opportunity and I, I hope you do, and I assume you do, have an opportunity to share the gospel with people. Sometimes you just know a person who you think, this is such a good person. And they're just, they give you the shirt off their back. They're just really nice people. Oh, that they would just believe the gospel. You'd think that they'd be the first in line to believe the gospel. And and you try to share the gospel with them, and they aren't interested in the least in what Jesus has done. All they... Mm, that just doesn't. And then you talk to people who you look at them and you think, yeah, ay, 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 you know, this person, I, and the list of sins that they've got is, and you're like, well, yeah. you give them the gospel, kind of find out they desperately want to hear it. They have been looking for forgiveness in this message their whole lives. Sometimes the people you think will be last are actually first. And sometimes the people you think will be first are actually last. The story of the prodigal son is not the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of the elder brother. You would think that the last person in this scenario would be the prodigal. He's the guy that got his inheritance early and spent it all on riotous living. Living it up, parties, immorality. You think, this guy is never going to believe the gospel. Actually, this is the guy that does believe the gospel. The older brother, the elder brother, which, by the way, is who this is actually directed at, are the Pharisees. Those folks who are all self-righteous. Well, I've always, you know. Uh, and, and then when the prodigal gets saved and, and they're not even going to go into the banquet. They don't even want to go in. It's like, it's appropriate that your brother which was dead is now alive. I don't care. I don't care about him. The gospel is for sinners. And if you won't admit you're a sinner, you're not going to get saved. That's why it's hard. It's hard. There's a reason why a majority of the people on earth aren't Christians and believe the gospel. It's hard. If you don't, if you don't believe that, by the way, give the gospel to more people. It'll be very clear to you quickly. People don't want to believe this. They have no desire whatsoever to repent of anything. They're quite self-satisfied, thank you. They're quite certain that they are just fine without any kind of religious crutch or believing in Jesus or the Bible or any of that kind of stuff. They are going to take care of their own lives. It's hard. It's hard to believe the gospel. You have to strive. You have to crucify yourself. You have to deny yourself and take up your cross. The reason why the average person you give the gospel to doesn't want to believe it is because they're all too well aware that if I believed that, I'd have to become a completely different person. Yep, actually you would. And don't, don't dispute that with them. In fact, make it very clear to them exactly what kind of person they're going to need to become. Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus, this is the gospel that Jesus presents. He's very upfront about exactly how it is. He's not over here trying to twist anybody's arm. He's not over here trying to, you know, bait the hook and throw it out there. And, and, and once you caught him, then, you know, that, no. Jesus is like, look, this is how it is. This is it. You, in fact, you better strive to get through the, the door because it's narrow. And by the way, it only stays open for a little while. So you might want to get at it. You, you might want to wrestle with your sin now because you have no idea when the, when the door is going to close. And, and there's no more opportunity. This is how Jesus presents the gospel. Do I need to, I need to actually say so we might want to, you know, right? There are people that if you presented the gospel to them 8, 10, 12, 15 times, and they just, they just you know, there's an appropriate moment to say to them, you might want to be careful. You, you should be careful. The door may very well close on you, and there's no indication. Let's just be clear here: there's no indication that Jesus answers this question that he's angry, that he's upset, that it's that's, that's none of that. He's just speaking the truth. Here is the truth. So, Lord, are, are only just a few people going to be saved? You know, they, really, you shouldn't be worried about that. What you need to be worried about is whether or not you're saved you need to strive to get through the narrow door before it closes. That's the response. And we should help people think carefully that, you know, God's grace is not going to be extended to you forever. You want to reject the gospel? Fine. You should be aware that the moment may come or no matter how much you want to, you, you won't be able to believe it. I, I'll close with this. I I have, I've done chaplaincy work um, for a long time, had opportunity, and I was in a hospital, and there was a gentleman in, in a hospital bed with a terminal um, prognosis, and basically he was there. Uh, he, he wanted to talk to somebody, so I came in and talked to him, and he, he was there until he passed. He's like, you know, I've, I've got a fatal terminal illness, and... So I gave him the gospel. He called for a chaplain. There we go. And I explained to him that this is how this goes. You need to confess that you're a sinner. You need to, you need to pray. And okay, so, you know, he, he was agreeable to all that. And so we bowed our heads, and I, I started helping through the prayer, and he stopped He looked up. He said, no, I'm not doing this. I am not going to be that guy that repents on his deathbed, not doing it. So if you're sitting here thinking that, well, when the moment comes, you know what? Maybe when the moment comes, you won't do it then either. So if you're sitting here thinking about it, maybe this is the moment. Now is the accepted time. Now. It's the day to repent. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your willingness to send your son for sinners like us. Who are we to in any way benefit from the very death of your son? To satisfy your clear righteousness. To pay for our sins. Lord, we are unworthy of the least discomfort that Jesus would experience on our behalf, let alone beating and scourging and a crown of thorns and humiliation and crucifixion to the death. May we be humble. May we come to you begging your forgiveness, unworthy. Thank you that you offer it. Thank you that all we need do is believe Jesus did it for us. May our hearts be transformed by such a truth. May we strive to live lives worthy of it. And if we haven't, Believe that to this point, may we believe it today. Use our lives, Lord, to share this message to a lost and dying world that desperately needs it. We pray in your son's name. Amen.